0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Last meal that Jesus had with his uh, disciples uh, during Passover. Uh, so we're really spending uh, six weeks in just Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 1 through uh, 38. And just beginning to unpack that sort of verse by verse and trying to imagine ourselves sitting around the table uh, with Jesus and his disciples and experiencing what they experienced and learning what they learned and being a part of that uh, that conversation. Uh, we know that's a conversation that has changed the world, What we're going to celebrate a little bit later in terms of a communion experience, maybe a little different than we would normally do it on a Sunday morning, it is meant to be... Um, An experience that is shared not just here in this room, but with, you know, churches in Carlton Place, churches in Ottawa, churches all around the world. It's something that's uh, common among the whole body of believers, and so we're a part of something really big, so we want to understand it uh, really, really well. So let's just take a second before we uh, dive into the text, and uh, we'll pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to be present to teach us. Father, thank you so much. I ask that you would uh, settle our hearts in this moment. That you would allow us uh, to imagine uh, that we're in the place of your disciples, that we are uh, 2,000 years ago gathered around your table. And you, the rabbi, is in the house, and you are teaching us, and you are leading us through your word all these years later. So, would you give us the humility and grace and uh, teachable spirit to learn from your word? We pray that that would be something that's cognitive, something that is information that goes into our brains, that we process, and it causes us to adjust our behaviors uh, accordingly so that we would be true followers of you. But we ask also for the uh, spiritual, the mystical part of reading your word, that just by reading it, uh, it would transform us. We uh, celebrate that your word has power to change us, to make us new, to renew our minds. And we ask for that renewing of our minds in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit, and change us. Come and make us more like you, O Lord. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. So let's just dive right into the text. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 22, uh, verses 13 to 20, and we'll just read them, and then we'll just begin to unpack them together. Um, just to say at the very end of the service, we're going to celebrate communion. As you can see, we have uh, things, uh, elements out here, and I'll walk us through the details of that, but it's just, I think, having the fresh understanding of this actual text where Jesus delivers this to his disciples, and then us acting it out together, I think would be, be important for us, and maybe in a little bit of a different way than we typically do monthly just to sort of disrupt it for us a little bit and make it seem fresh. But let's read the text with that in mind. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so we start in verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Um, and just to note that moment uh, right there, that they reclined at the table. Uh, for us, we sit at tables, we sit in chairs when we do communion, uh, but just to have an image of what they did. I've put an image of this carving on the screen for you to look at. Uh, it's actually a carving that I saw when I was in, in Israel years ago and really, really wanted to purchase something like that. But I went with a nativity instead. It was sort of like a 50-50. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it just, just the idea that this was uh, there's something about the experience of the apostles coming together to eat and to share this together where there was uh, a sense that this is something not to be taken too fast. This is not something to be rushed through. This is something to be uh, handled thoughtfully. Uh, There's something about them reclining at the table um, at this sort of low and humble place. They're on their elbows. Uh, They're leaning against each other. You can imagine uh, a table sort of laid out like this in sort of a U-shape, and they're gathered around it with Jesus at the head of the table, and they have some cushions about. And the guy who is on his the corner of the table is sort of leaning on his elbow like this, with his feet sticking out here. And there's another guy here and another guy here with their feet sticking out. And this guy's smelly feet is really close to that guy's head while he's eating his dinner. And, and you understand why they have foot washing. Um, this is real people in, in the Middle East uh, who are walking about, working, uh, doing life together, uh, but they're living in a way that is close. They're living in a way that they can see each other, they can hear each other, uh, they, can, they can smell each other. This is community living in a way that is, uh, is much more intimate than we're comfortable with sometimes. And we want to just notice that as we look at the text, that uh, the communion table calls us to an intimacy that, that we who sort of imagine dining as being sitting upright in straight-backed chairs uh, with uh, polished silverware and crystal stemware and, uh, and food, like, beautiful, served, nice. And, or, or maybe we're thinking the keg, and we're in a nice, soft, comfy booth. I don't know what you're thinking. But um, this is something that's earthier, isn't it? It's something that's closer. It's something that is sort of a a formal understanding of what they're about to to experience together, Uh, but at the same time, uh, the way in which they experience it is is much more intimate than we would typically understand or be comfortable with. So I wanna hear, I want us to hear a a drawing into the table, a drawing together, a drawing closer uh, together. It says this in verse 15, And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And as I was reading it, I noticed this idea of him eagerly desiring to eat this Passover. There's something in his heart that longed for this to happen, that wanted it to happen in a passionate way. And when you unpack the language there, uh, the, the way Luke writes it is, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you. I didn't just desire it, but with desire I desired it. And that word desire is a strong word. It's the same word that we use in the New Testament for covet and lust. Like Jesus really wanted this thing to happen. There was something in him that was looking ahead to this moment and grasping it with both hands and saying, "Hey, this has to happen. I need this to happen. I want this to happen. I desire. I desire. I desire. With desire, I have desired." And and the idea of uh, taking that, and it's not just desiring the Passover. It's not just desiring to have this religious experience, it's not just desiring to go through the service and to have another Passover service, but he specifies, uh, I desire to have this Passover with you. And again, we hear a call to something relational. He's not calling us to have an individual uh, religious experience where it's a purely vertical thing. Uh, He's desiring to have something that is shared in the community, and it's not just with you each as individuals, it's with you all together. I eagerly, passionately desire to have this thing happen with you all together, with you as a community, with you as a group. And he goes on to say, I want to do this before I suffer. And, we, and, and just as, as I was reflecting on that, it just brought me right uh, to Matthew and Matthew 23 and Luke 13, where Jesus is standing over Jerusalem. In the Matthew account, it's happening uh, as he's coming into Jerusalem uh, before uh, the, the um, triumphal entry, and he's looking out over Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley, and he's saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And he uses this incredible image of of this hen that is like, I'm gonna gather you, I'm gonna gather you, I'm gonna bring you in, I'm gonna bring you into a place that's close, I'm gonna bring you into a place that's safe, and I'm gonna shelter you. And N.T. Wright and other theologians have noticed this, that uh, this this image of the hen having gathered the chicks under the wings, um, that is something that you would see if you've ever seen a barn fire that you would see a hen that's gathered, the chicks under the wings, and the barn will have burnt down, and it'll be a smoking ember, and there will be a chicken that is there that is cooked and burnt and feathers off and toast, and under its wings will be little live chicks. That's what Jesus is modeling and talking about for you. He longs to gather you, and the wrath that's about to come, the punishment that's about to come, the pain that's about to come is coming on himself, but the people gathered under his wings are going to be sheltered. And so he's painting a picture of the salvation and the shelter that he's intending to be for you. He eagerly desires to gather you so that he can keep you safe, so that he can hold you close, so that he can care for you. There's incredible uh, self-sacrificial tenderness in this. He loves you. He wants you there. And when I think about that image, when I think about that that desiring of gathering, that desiring to see his family together, the the first person who comes to mind is my grandma. This is, I miss my grandma. Uh, My grandma's name was Esther Summick. I'm going to make my sister cry. (laughs) She's going to make me cry. Family and church. (laughs) We're both huge softies, so hey. (laughs) You can just watch the show. Um, You know, my grandma, uh, I remember uh, that in her when there's a family gathering to come. And I would, I remember when it was Christmas coming or Thanksgiving or just a Sunday afternoon dinner. And I knew that, of course, I wanted to hang out with my cousin, Evan, because we were, you know, we're best buds and and I would always go over to grandma's house to get there before Evan got there just to wait for him so I wouldn't miss uh, the time with him. But I remember uh, when Grandma was setting up the house and getting uh, things ready to go, uh, it would be, you know you know what it's like when company's coming, it's it's vacuum the floor, it's pick up all the clutter, it's uh, organize the, the things on the cupboard, it's make the dinner, it's chopping the vegetables, it's the whole deal. But I remember this incredible intensity, this incredible flurry of activity in Grandma, and all of a sudden she's barking orders, and all of a sudden I'm vacuuming the floor, and I'm tidying up. I remember vacuum, vacuuming, steal a peppermint from the jar vacuum, vacuum, steal a peppermint from the jar. Um, But there's this incredible intensity and this incredible excitement that her family is coming together and she's thrilled to see this family gathering happen. And sometimes, you know, when people are coming over, it's like full-on panic. What are they going to think of me if the house isn't clean? But that wasn't in Grandma at all. In Grandma was just this incredible spirit of love. Like, that was love for her. She loved to do that. She loved to create that space. She loved to create a space where we could all gather in the living room and we could just sit back on the couches and we could not worry about a thing. We could put our feet up on the coffee table and we could recline with her and we could just sit there and talk and she would bustle and she would make it all happen and facilitate this incredible encounter. And that's what Jesus does for us. He eagerly desires that. And the thing I remember with my grandma is that as she got older and we moved here to Ontario, that she lived out in Saskatchewan, and we would see her uh, less and less frequently. And as she got older, I noticed the intensity of this uh, preparation, the intensity of this love, and the intensity of the moments where she was about to say goodbye to us, would just ramp up and up and up. And as she got older every time, it would be more tears. And then we would her two years later, and when we said goodbye, it would be more tears and more intensity. Because she's realizing that something is happening. She's realizing that there is about to be an end to the way that we've related to one another. And I think that's what Jesus was feeling for his disciples. He knew he was about to suffer. He knew he was about to go to the cross. He knew that uh, this thing wouldn't happen again until it was fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And, and he has this uh, emotional passionate a connectedness to his disciples like my grandma did for her family where he just loved to be with them and he knew he was going to miss them and you need to know he feels that for you you need to know that he longs to be with you with desire he desires to be with you with desire he desires to gather the church community together For us to experience Him together, for us to be seated at His table, for us to read His Word together, for us to worship together. He desires that with with a passion, and it is right for us to desire it too, and it is right for us to grieve it when it's not happening. He wants us to love each other that way. He wants us to desire, to desire, to desire to be with Him. And to desire to desire to desire to be with one another, and he want, he, he let his disciples know, and says this after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said take this and divide it among you. I want us to just notice that divided among you uh, for a second. Uh, so there's slides I pulled out, but I want to say something quickly about that, is when you look at uh, scripts for the Passover Seder service, and, I, and again, as we're going to sort of try to bring some of the Jewish meaning forward into our Christian experience, I'm not an expert on this. I don't know this well. I'm not a Jewish rabbi. I don't have the learning. I don't have the knowledge. But in reading a whole ton of Passover scripts to try to understand what it's like and what was happening, what I didn't see any was uh, something where the rabbi or the head of the family would take the things, uh, the element, the wine, and say, hey, I want to divide this among you. Um, but Jesus, I think, put something new into the service at that moment where he said, uh, this, this cup is something that has to come from me and it's something that you have to share with one another. And, and it brought to mind uh, John chapter uh, 15, verse 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches, unless you remain in me. You can bear no fruit he's saying that there's something about the way this has to flow from my person from my presence for it to work for our relationships to go together but it says this after taking the cup he gave thanks and I, and i realized a couple of verses later it says and then he took the cup and with my non-jewish understanding and my my common experience of communion, i'm like wait a second there's two cups how come he took the cup and then he took the cup after dinner, he took the cup. What's with the cups? And uh, what, what what became clear as I began to study and, and look into it, and, and this is some years ago, but uh, realized that for the Passover service, there's actually four cups uh, when they when they would do a Passover Seder. And again, I am not a Jewish rabbi. I do not have the learning to bring uh, the appropriate meaning and depth to this. But I want us to just take a second and examine those four cups and see uh, what Jesus said. Um, was trying to say and where he was trying to fit it in and where he was bringing change. So there's four cups that uh, the Jewish people would uh, take over the course of the dinner uh, in a ceremonial way and it's really interesting in all the scripts it says and now you can drink in an unceremonial way. So I don't know if they're just like pounding Wine the whole time. Um, I don't know how that goes, but this is the ceremonial wine, and then here's all the other wine, and just keep drinking wine. Just keep drinking wine. I don't know how it was like by the end of a Passover Seder. I don't know how that goes, but um, but where those uh, four cups come from is out of Exodus uh, chapter six, verses six and seven. I'm just going to read this text to us. It says, "Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them." And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God." And those four cups are meant to reflect those four movements in those two verses. I will bring you out. And they would call this the cup of sanctification. The word sanctification or sanctify or to make holy means to make separate. To take someone and to make them separate. So they're saying, I will take you and I will make you separate from Egypt. I will pull you out of that place and I will bring you to a new place. That's a piece of salvation. Uh, I will deliver you from slavery. So I will set you free from the things that the world has obligated you to do. You are no longer under obligation to follow the pattern of the world. Uh, I will redeem you. I will pay the price for your sin. The cup of, of redemption. Uh, that's the third cup, and that's where Jesus takes the, the cup with his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's the third cup. And then there's the cup of acceptance. I will take you to be my people. I will take you to be my people. This cup of relationship, this cup of belonging. And so if you're in a Jewish uh, Passover Seder ceremony, you'll take these three cups, and that'll be, or four cups, and that'll be the meaning associated with them. But I want to just take a second and look at these one by one. The cup of sanctification, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. And I want to just sort of ask us this question, just to reflect for a moment. Where are you immersed in cultural influence? Where are you immersed in your Egypt? But you need to be sanctified, you need to be holy, and you need to be set apart. So when you look at your life and you look at the influences in your life, you look at the place where you live, uh, the, the surrounding people, the surrounding culture. You might say, Christianity is the biggest impact on my life. I come every Sunday uh, morning and I hear a message and I hear a sermon. And, and sometimes I read my Bible or uh, I go to home church. So Christianity is, is this cultural influence in my life. It is this thing that has transformed me. It's this thing that's making me new. But I also watch Netflix for 12 hours a week. And I also watch uh, how many hockey games. And I also watch whatever it is. I listen to my employees. I listen to my employers. I listen to all of these other influences in our lives that actually influence us in ways that sort of dramatically affect who we are and how we follow Jesus. So let's take for example, say that you are the sort of person who wants to binge watch Game of Thrones. You're a Christian, you're following Jesus, you're reading the scriptures, you're wanting to grow in him and you're wanting to know him better, but for uh, 10 to 12 hours a week while you're binge watching Game of Thrones or however it is, you're immersing yourself in a culture that is about betrayal, that is about mistrust, that is about violence, that is about sexuality, that is about uh, a passion to build a kingdom for yourself. And God would say to you, I want to sanctify you, I want to separate you from that cultural influence, and I want to lead you in an exodus out of that Egypt and into a place where the influence in your life is my word and my teaching and my presence. This is a piece of salvation for you, is accepting an exodus, accepting uh, the reality that Jesus isn't the only cultural influence in your life, but he needs to be the influence in your life? Where are you being affected? Where are you being impacted uh, by whatever it is that you're consuming as media, whatever it is that you're consuming as a person? Whatever you're consuming that fuels materialism or that fuels uh, a desire for more goods, more things, more toys, where are you accepting that stuff and taking it in? That's an Egypt from which God wants to take you out make you a person who is influenced by him. There's a cup of praise. Uh, and that's like a, a reaction to the deliverance that God has for you. A reaction to deliverance from slavery. And with that, we ask the question, in what areas do you believe you are bound to act according to the will of Pharaoh? Where do you hear a voice that's ringing in your head that's saying, man, I'll never be free from porn. I'll never be free from addiction. I can't quit smoking. I can't stop eating chips. I need that stuff. i got to go to Amazon because I feel better if I get that. I just can't stop spending. Where do you feel compelled and bound and enslaved to respond To something that the world is calling you to do and you feel as though you don't have the power to stop maybe it's alcohol whatever it is God is saying to you I will deliver you you aren't bound anymore in Christ you are made free When you hear those lies coming in your head to say that you are compelled to act in a certain way and that you can't stop and you have a pattern of sin, a pattern of addiction, a pattern of behavior that you can't get out, you need to hear the voice of the Lord cutting through the clutter of those lies and saying, I will set you free from slavery. You are not bound anymore. You're meant to be free to follow him. This is the second cup that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. Now you can be free, you can get out of slavery, you can get out from under the influence, you can sometimes do those things by an act of your will, uh, but wherever you go, you kind of take sin with you. The third cup, the cup of redemption answers that challenge. In what ways are you stuck in patterns of sin? In what ways do you carry the burdens of past sin that that place on you continual guilt and shame? You can get free from Egypt, you can get free from sin patterns, you can get free from that stuff, but you carry with you the guilt of it, the shame of it, the pain of it. How do you get free from that? And how do you get free from it in a way that you can understand that the God who is just and holy Like, we need to back up the truck here for a second. Like, do you understand, we talked about this last week, that God being who he is, God, very God, who created the whole universe, who made it the way uh, he wanted it to be, who saw it broken by sinful humanity and wants to remake it and reshape it into his great and glorious kingdom. And we are responsible for having broken it. We're responsible for having broken it we have sin in our hearts and things that we've done that have stolen spiritually from other people that have stolen life from them We participated in industries that have taken livelihood and money from people who need it. We participated in industries that have resulted in addiction and sex trafficking and all kinds of pain that's resulted in the world. And the pain of that, the guilt of that, the shame of that is on us that we have blood on our hands. For we have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And you can't deal with that just by stopping the bad things you were doing before. Something supernatural has to happen to deal with that. And that is only the blood of Christ that can do that to set you free. And Jesus reinvests uh, this cup with meaning that says, hey, I am the final sacrifice for you. No more lambs uh, killed in the temple. I'm the lamb who's killed for you. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. But in what ways are you stuck feeling with guilt and feeling shame? I'm just stuck. I just feel guilty all the time. I just feel like, I feel miserable all the time. I'm depressed all the time. Every time I look at myself, I I, I see what a bad person I am. I see the ways I've failed. I see the ways I've hurt others. And I can't get past that. How do I get past it? Only by coming and kneeling at the foot of the cross and seeking forgiveness and entrusting uh, your soul to him do you get free from that. That's what the third cup is about. And the fourth cup is this, the cup of acceptance. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Having walked out of Egypt, being sanctified and separated from the influences in our lives that are destroying us, Having uh, ceased to do the things that that hurt us, that harm others, that are patterns, having ceased to be under the burden of slavery, having had our sin dealt with at the foot of the cross, we receive the embrace and the love and the acceptance of the Father. And that's what it's all about. It's about a restoration of relationship and a restoration of intimacy, a restoration of of passion to worship. Some of you might have been saved. You might be living lives that are beginning to follow Jesus. You might understand that your sins are forgiven. But you might not know that what that's all about is not just him not hating you. It's about a relationship with him that is meant to be powerful and passionate and intimate and beautiful. Living, interactive heart to heart face to face with him do you have trouble raising your hands in worship and being excited about his presence when it enters the room do you feel uh, like you're you don't belong in his community as we have our stuff dealt with we belong we fit we, we, we are meant to be there and going on to verse uh, 19 it says this and this is getting into the, the communion service uh, for us it says, and he took bread, and gave thanks, and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And we talked about this last week, um, the, the bread that we're talking about, this unleavened bread, if we read uh, into Deuteronomy 13, in the story of the Exodus, uh, instructions are given, do not eat the bread made with yeast, for for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. When the Israelites left Egypt, and, and if you're here last week, you'll have caught this, uh, they they left fast. They had to uh, take bread. They had to uh, make it fast to give themselves something to travel. If they needed. They didn't have granola bars or power bars. Or any of that stuff, they couldn't. They couldn't pack that. And then protein bars, or vegan protein bars, or keto bars, or granola bars, any kind of bars. They made their own bars, right here. Bars, of bread. I made this in my kitchen uh, on uh, yesterday, so hopefully it's okay. Um, <laughs> they made the bread so they could walk with it, so they could go with it, so they could run with it. And when Passover was established, the idea is that you remember when you come to the table, the affliction you were under, you remember what Pharaoh made you do. You remember uh, the influences that were in your lives and you grieve them and you mourn them and you walk away from them and walk into the place of glorious freedom that God has for you. And so when we come to the table, we come to take his life into us, this life-sustaining, given, incredible gift that that he has for us, but we remember That Christianity is not just about uh, us adding something to our lives, it's about leaving something behind. Are we leaving our sin behind? Are we leaving Egypt behind? Are we leaving Pharaoh behind? We take the bread of affliction. This is our exodus. It's about exodus. Exodus. It says this, in the same way after supper he took the cup, this would be the third cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Um, You know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or without defect. And so he took this third cup in the service, and he said, hey, this isn't just uh, redemption the way you understand it. This isn't redemption the way you understand it as lambs being slain in the temple. This is redemption uh, in a new way. This is me, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world about to be slain for you. And we receive a gift of salvation that comes uh, with eternal power and eternal might, and eternal glory. And even looking back at that text, right, I will deliver you with an outstretched arm and with mighty judgments. Right, this cup of redemption is a mighty judgment that sets you free. It's a mighty judgment that sets you free. And we come to him, not just having walked out of Egypt, but having left our sin as well behind us. And that's what Jesus is investing this with. We are not, it's not enough for us to just leave our Egypt, we, we take this with us. We Don't go anywhere without the blood, right? We don't go anywhere without the blood of Jesus. We're bound without it, we're under guilt without it, we're under shame without it. Freedom comes on the other side. And so this what this is about. We're going to just remind ourselves about this as we come to the table. And what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment is I'm going to ask you to get up from your seats. I know there's a lot of us here, which is wonderful. Um, and I'm going to ask us to recline around the table together. Now, if I could have asked you all to bring cushions from your couches and gotten a low table, I would have us all like lying down up here on the stage in a big circle or something like that. We're not going to do that, but I'm going to ask you to come up and stand nice and close around the table in just a few moments. And I'm going to lead us through uh, a communion service similar to what we would, we would do normally, uh, except we're going to uh, we're going to do it uh, together nice and close. Father, thank you for this amazing family. Thank you for this uh, representation of your body. Thank you for this uh, temple, this glorious house. Thank you for your hands and your feet. Thank you that we are sanctified, that we can live a separate life. Thank you that we are no longer slaves. Thank you that our sin uh, has passed under the blood and is no more. Thank you that we're accepted, that we are loved, that we can boldly approach your throne. Let us live as free people and let us live uh, into your future for us. Let our exodus lead to promised lands, to a new life that you have for us, a new way of living, your community, your family, your home. I just have to grab my Bible. I just want to read one, a uh, couple of verses here to us. I'm sorry, John. So when Jesus said, um, I long to eat of this, Uh, this is the last time I'll eat of this until it's fulfilled in your kingdom, of course it's fulfilled as we do this now 2,000 years later. But that word fulfilled means like an ultimate fulfillment, uh, a final fulfillment, a a completeness. And what he's pointing to is a final meal with him uh, in glory, a final meal with him. that goes forever, in eternity. And we see that reflected, I think, in Revelation chapter 19. And I just want to read to you of the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You're the bride. The lamb is coming. He has come and he will come again. We're going to celebrate that at Easter. He will come again. He will come again and make all things new. And that is our great hope. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.